Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, all the way from rural Scotland, we have the one and only author Ella Hayes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share with us how 2021 has been for you. Oh, well, hello, everyone. And I'm just thrilled to be on this fabulous podcast of yours. Um, 2021, I don't know. It's kind of, it's been a bit of a blur, really, to be honest. Um, Obviously, I'm very, very lucky to live where I do. Um, You know, I'm right out in the countryside. So, you know, through all our lockdowns and I mean, obviously, we're sort of loosened up a little bit here in the the UK now. Um, We're we're slightly more locked down, not locked down, but we have more restrictions here in Scotland than they do in England. But um, I have been very grateful for having the space and... uh, just being in a, a nice rural place through all this, you know, it, it's meant we've been able to keep ourselves quite safe. And um, But 2021, hey, I don't know. I grew some vegetables, which I haven't done for many years. I wrote a book and I'm writing another one. So that carries on. Um, in my day job, I'm a photographer, so I haven't had as much photography work to do, but that's fine. So, yeah, no, 2021, I don't know. It, it, it's been a bit of a funny year, but I think it, it's probably been like that for a lot of people. And sadly for a lot of people, I guess, you know, who've, who've had family members very sick or anything like that, it's it's been way worse for, for them than for me. So I count myself lucky. So in your photography, do you do primarily wedding? Um, I, I no longer shoot weddings, although I did have some weddings this year. Um, I, I shoot mostly commercial work now, um, which is work for businesses, advertising, things like that. And I do family portraiture as well. So, um, I was actually doing that this morning. Um, but the weddings, you know, I did that for 15 or 16 years and I'm I'm kind of getting towards sixty now, and although I consider myself pretty fit, um, I just find it you know it's just too full on, too tiring because you're you're on call the whole time when you're shooting a wedding. You know you're trying to be um, efficient, polite, artistic. You've got to deal with everything that comes at you. You know, and doing that for eight or ten hours. You know, I was getting to the stage where I'd just be wiped out, you know, afterwards. So I just, at the end of 2018, um, I'd just done my master's degree at, um, in writing practice and study. And I just thought, you know what, I, I want to spend more time writing and less time doing weddings. And I was in a position with having a, a body of other clients Um who I could work with on the commercial side. So, you know, I knew it would be a financial hit, but I was prepared to take it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. But having said that, I have shot uh, two or three small weddings this year uh, of the COVID-friendly variety, (laughs) Um, which actually also is fine. Small weddings (laughs) doing, you know, 30 people or so, but my days of of kind of 150, Mm -hmm guests uh i'm afraid no i just don't have the steam or frankly you know i I think you have to really really love it to do a good job for your clients and i could sense that i mean i love photography and i always will but the actual business of coming home from a shoot with 1200 files that you have to then sit and edit and process no (laughs) i'm well past it you know yeah yeah yeah. no no But Mm -hmm. it's been a blast. Do you feel like photography is its own kind of storytelling? Absolutely. I always, um, when people say to me, you know, oh, you were a photographer and now you're writing, you're a writer. And I just say, well, yeah, but it's telling stories, but with a different tool. So, you know, my motivation, I suppose, has always been stories, you know, And, and it's, I do have a very sort of visual approach to my writing you know I I always find that I love words and I love I love beautiful description and things like that but I also 
constantly battle with words getting in the way. Does that make sense? You know, if I'm trying to create a scene, I want it to play yeah. out in a sort of cinema, uh, cinematic way or the way it would if it was shot. You know, so I'm always trying to be as economic as I can, you know, to to try and get get the, the, the kind of gesture across or, you know, it's, <laughs> I was thinking the other day, I, I write, I'm always writing about the, the way someone's eyes are changing. And what I'm what I'm thinking when I do that is of a visual, you know, that kind of moment where someone's eyes flicker or change. And sometimes I have to think enough with the eyes already, just <laughs> just kind of write it differently, you know. <laughs> but I am, I kind of hone in on those sort of micro reactions, you know, because that that is, I suppose, you know, it's at the heart of emotional writing isn't it what's going on behind the eyes I don't know how we got into that from photography but yeah no I definitely have a sort of uh it, it is all about <laughs> yeah. so let's get into some holiday icebreakers tell us your Santa Claus reveal story how did you learn who was really delivering you presents each year I'm afraid it's so long ago I don't remember <laughs> I was I was looking, you know, thinking about this question. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I cannot remember for the life of me. So I'm sorry, I've failed at the very first hurdle. <laughs> no, you have fine. not. You're fine. <laughs> that's that's just as good an answer as any. Yes. <laughs> um, what is one of your favorite holiday films? Oh well, do you know, it would probably in recent years have to be Love, actually. I just love that at Christmas. It's mm. um, you know, the you're familiar with the film, I'm sure. Yeah, it's uh, it has an all star cast, and it's basically it's Hugh Grant, Emma Thompson. Um, oh, uh, oh, 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 oh. Uh, I'm about to say Rick Grimes, but it's the actor who plays Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead. Um, and Kira Knightley and um, Laura Linney. <laughs> so it's it's really a kind of uh, a montage piece. Lots of small stories that end up. Oh, Liam Neeson is in it as well, um, and Alan Rickman and uh, Rowan Atkinson. It's a fabulous, fabulous holiday film. Lots of small interconnected stories about what love is and what it means, and it's it's great. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I really, that's that's a favorite. You're walking down the street in a good mood. What holiday song is playing in the background? Um, well, I, I actually have a, a few that um, I, I really like. Uh, so Driving Home for Christmas by Chris Rea is, is a great one. Um, probably more for when you're driving rather than walking. Um, and uh, I love... <laughs> And actually, one that I always think is beautiful, it's more of a New Year's song, but is Dina Carroll's The uh, the Perfect Year, which I always find a beautiful song. Um, so again, I'm not mm. answering the question. Let me think. Uh, Last Christmas by Wham. That's a good one for walking along to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> what is one of your favorite holiday dishes? Uh, that would be all of them. <laughs> I I um I, <laughs> I just um I'm I'm a great lover of I know some people hate dried fruit and everything but Christmas is just brilliant for me because I love you know dried fruit and you know uh, so Christmas cake mince pies we have a, a lovely one in Scotland called the Eccle Fecken cake which is um like a mince pie but it also has some actually I don't know what's in it but it's got like a very light crust on the top and when I say crust I don't mean pastry it's more like sort of brown sugar and I don't know it's it's very nice but you know it's not so good for your fillings if you have them <laughs> um but yeah now anything anything really I'm I'm super easy when it comes to food um and uh yeah no just just the whole thing really <laughs> what is one gift you hoped for and never received a pony <laughs> i uh i was always i grew up <laughs> i i i 
used to ride when I was young and um, like like a lot of people, you know, and I was really horse mad um, and, you know, I devoured Black Beauty 11 billion times and I used to go up to, <laughs> I don't mean literally, by the way, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I have I have eaten horse meat in France, but no, um, anyway. But uh, yeah, no, horses were a big thing for me. I was I was mad for horses when I was growing up, and I used to go to my local riding school and help groom the ponies, and um, I used to have riding lessons as well. So uh, so yeah, no, a pony I always wanted but never got. <laughs> Yeah, you and me both. I think the closest I got was a pony for my Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that was brilliant because, you know, I always wanted to, I had, um, I didn't have Barbie, I had Cindy and Cindy had a horse and I always wanted the Cindy horse. Yep. But I, I also didn't get that. Um, and I'm, I'm not pointing a finger at my parents here. I think they probably just, you know, thought that it was a bit of a, you know, not worth having or something. I don't know. But anyway, um, I, I used to, so I used to go and ride. So I had, real, you know, encounters with real horses. So that was better in a way. Yeah. And it's a lot more affordable just to take riding lessons than to own a horse, because I'm sure the maintenance and upkeep on a pony is, it's not cheap. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. Um, you know, so, but yeah, no, I, I, I love my years riding and I, I still like horses, um, but I don't ride anymore. Um, I did try on and off uh, over the last couple of years, or couple, over the last couple of decades, I've occasionally found myself on a horse and I've enjoyed it, but I, I definitely am a bit spooked now. They seem very big and, you know, I, if you've the thought of falling off and hurting myself, um, no, I, I just, I'm not really very courageous. <laughs> I always, I always think my brother got all the courage gene, you know, in our family between the two of us, which is um, why I devote, uh, dedicated my latest book to him because, you know, he was always the brave one and, and he does brave stuff <laughs> and I don't. Oh, that's sweet. Um, <laughs> is there a holiday tradition you find yourself nostalgic for? I, do you know, I, it, it's interesting. As a photographer, I obviously um, very much, I, I love nice Christmas visuals. And, you know, in these lovely glossy magazines, you know, when they do the picture in front of the roaring fire. And I always think, oh, that's, that's absolutely beautiful and I have a tree and I have a fire and all those things but you know I don't have the perfect house and you know there's something about that artifice that um creatives and photographers put together for magazines and and you kind of <laughs> sounds weird you know you kind of think I'm nostalgic for that kind of Christmas that I've never actually had you know and and I'm so aware that it's just a uh, you know, it's a <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I absolutely love those sorts of images. We have um, a magazine that sells here called Country Living Magazine, and they always used to do lovely uh, features at Christmas with you know families roasting chestnuts, you know, in in kind of nice wearing nice cashmere, and you know it was all very aspirational. And you kind of look at it and you think, oh, you get a little pang. You think that's lovely. <laughs> Um, but it's 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 so I think there's so much fantasy around Christmas, isn't there? You know, we we kind of create this fantasy around Christmas, and you kind of buy into it. And you know, I, I think the most people's family Christmases are just probably very different to that, and just as good, better. <laughs> but um, yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, one of one of our friends recently posted in her stories, I think it was back during Halloween, but it goes for any holiday. She's like, you see all these beautiful photos of the decorated porches. And she's like, you know, ha show yourself some grace. Nobody's holiday actually looks like that. <laughs> I was like, that's so true. I mean, every yeah. Christmas, I like beat myself up. Like I didn't do it how I, you know, imagined it looking on Pinterest or reading magazines. And it's like, 
how many people's holiday actually looks like that? Mm -hmm. Not very many. So, mm -hmm. but like you said, you get nostalgic for this idea. Exactly. And, and I think the thing is, the other thing that I, I always think I can, I can make, I have a very nice room that looks our, our sort of family room. And we have lovely views up uh, uh, from two windows. It's dual aspected. And we have our wood burner and I have a, a tree in the corner. And if it snows, and it just throws so much light into the room and it's absolutely beautiful. And I plump up all the cushions and shit. You know, I'm one of these people that cleans before Christmas. My mother always says to me, you're stupid. You should do it afterwards. But I always kind of like mm -hmm. everything is, you know, the brass is polished and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then you're looking at the room and you're thinking, that's lovely. And I don't want anyone in here now because they're just going to spoil it. So, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? What they're yes, the kinds of yes. things that we sell ourselves <laughs> and the kind of things that we drive ourselves with, you know. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm picturing a velvet rope like if you did a house tour. And people can just come in and you can just say, look at the room. Isn't it lovely? Now let's go to the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, just keep this one perfect. <laughs> well, we love romance origin stories. How did you become a romance reader? I, I'm going to hold my hands up here and say that actually I don't read a lot of romance, which I know sounds weird, but I do have an answer to this question. I, I love a love story. and. Um, I think probably the book that really, because as I say, I, I grew up reading, like most people, Enid Blyton, and I was a, a big fan of Ruby Ferguson, her pony books, and, you know, Anna Sewell's Black Beauty and, and those. And I, I got into Nancy Drew as well. I used to love her, mm -hmm. love those books. Um, but I guess when I was probably about 18 or 19, the book that probably changed all that for me was Colleen McCulloch's The Thornbirds. It's, you know, the big mm. Australian epic with this impossible love between Maggie Cleary and Ralph de Bricassar. And oh my God. I mean, just that really, you know, is a standout book for me. Even now, um, I should reread it, but it really, it really stirred all those you know, <laughs> all those emotions. And I just thought this is just such a, a wonderful, brilliant story. Very, ep you know, completely epic. And, and the setting was very evocative as well. So, you know, I think, I think that kind of, that was the book that probably really woke me up to the power of romantic writing, say, as opposed to romance genre, you know, so I, I'm the kind of person I love to read a story that has, I mean, a, a love element to a story is really important for me. And that that's kind of the, the, the jam in the middle. So yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to think of other, obviously, I was a massive, I loved Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare's play. And I used to have an audio recording of the Franco Zeffirelli film with Olivia Hussey and Leonard Whiting. And I just used to, I'm very, very thrilled by young love. You know, those first experiences I always find very mm -hmm. evocative and very interesting. It's something I come back to a lot um, when I think about writing. I like those kind of, I'm, I'm doing a, a story at the moment, which is a, a reunion story about two people who had been lovers in their teenage years you know and and I find that stuff I don't know why very stirring you know so yeah Romeo and Juliet um and all the sort of classic romance books um far from the madding crowd I, I love Thomas Hardy I love that story as well so I I love all these sorts of things but in truth I've probably read more romance since I've been writing it does that make sense <laughs> yeah yeah. So um, obviously back in the day, back in the early 80s, in the early 80s, though, I did read uh, a fair number of Mills and Boone romances, and I just used to love them. You know, I, so that was probably when I first got into reading Mills and Boone romance. I didn't read them then for quite a long time, really, until I, I sort of entered the competition. But, you know, I, they were sort of firmly, you know, I, okay. I read Penny Jordan um, and I can't remember the other authors, but um, 
but you know that they I thought they were just brilliant you know wonderful books to pick up and just kind of kick back with for two or three hours and they still are they're fabulous I mean I'm I'm so so lucky to be to be writing them now even though I don't have this huge long romance loving pedigree which I feel kind of bad about because, um but say you know to me love <laughs> you know because I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and I know that so many of the authors are saying oh I've been reading romance since I was you know whatever and honestly you know that is not true for me but as say a love story or a love element has always been really really important to me and I, I absolutely love that so yeah well, that's the same for me. I didn't start I didn't start reading romance until 2017. And but you know, I look at my reading life before then and I think in a lot of ways I was reading, I was gravitating towards books that had a love story. I read a lot of like Susanna Kearsley who does a lot of historical fiction and I think she could really be considered a romance author. There's always a happy ending at the end. Um, but it was when I read Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier in eighth grade that I was like, that's when I stopped. I think my kid reading, I was reading like the goosebumps and like a lot of horror being like a nineties kid. And then I read Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier and I was like this, like, I love this. I want more of this, you know, but it wasn't until 2017 that I intentionally started seeking actual romances. So, I mean, we hear a lot of I've, I was reading them in middle school, but, you know, that's just not everybody's journey. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's always interesting. Well, that what I would say, I was thinking about this um, for all that, you know, I, and when I say I don't read romance, I haven't kind of been devoted to romance genre. But as I say, I, I love love story. I, I absolutely has to be in a book for me to get the full mileage out of the story. Do you know what I mean? It, it is so important. but. I was actually thinking that when I was about 12 or 13, that was when I actually, I think I, I got a, my typewriter out. We had, my mom had an old typewriter and I want, I'd, I'd seen a, a movie um, with John Travolta as a, as a young actor. I don't even remember the name of it, but he was, he, he just had, you know, he's got that kind of, I mean, maybe he doesn't appeal to everyone, but in in this film, he's got very expressive eyes, and I kind of had had this vision of, of a character mm-hmm. like that, and I started writing this story <laughs> on my typewriter, and um, <laughs> and I I can tell you, I can remember, and goodness only knows where this came from, but the, the hero in this story was mute. I don't know why. And this girl meets him. Uh, again, it's a kind of teenage romance, and she meets him. Um, I, th- I think, oh, God, I'd have to dig it out, but she meets him um, one summer. So, you know, I guess maybe channeling a little bit there the old um, uh, Olivia Newton-John, John Travolta, you know, summer loves kind of thing. And she kind of determines that she's going to get him to speak. <laughs> Which is kind of anyway, and I remember I called I called the book right. Are you ready for this title? I called it to hear his voice, <laughs> and yeah, and I think I got about oh, a wow. chapter in the drama. <laughs> I got about a chapter in, and then thought, oh, do you know that <laughs> I don't know if I can do this, and and it just got, but I've still got it somewhere, all typed up. <laughs> So I, I I didn't quite achieve um, a whole book at that age, but you know I obviously had a very romantic instinct inside me to be writing a romantic story. So in 2017, you won the Prima Magazine Love to Write competition in association with Mills and Boone with the first chapter that became the first chapter of your debut, Her Brooding Scottish Air. Can you tell us about your experience with entering the competition? Absolutely. Um, so the I was I was writing. I'd, I'd, because I'm in photography, I'd kind of been I'd kind of gone back to writing in 2013. I should point out that although I kind of took a diversion into photography, my first stated ambition when I left school was that I wanted to go into journalism. 
um, but I just wasn't <laughs> I just wasn't interested enough in current affairs, and then I got distracted with um, the visual side, and um, so that that's why <laughs> that's why I kind of started, you know. On going into the photography side, and I worked in television for a while in documentary work. But in 2013, um, I had a, I just kind of, I don't know what it was, but I just had an idea that I would wanted to have a play around with writing again. And I wrote a romantic suspense book, which is still in my proverbial bottom drawer at 135,000 words. Thank you very much, and. But it was a great, I just really enjoyed oh doing it. So, I know. <laughs> so I continued, and then I decided I wanted to write a Scottish a story based in Scotland, so, which was, again, a teenage romance, um, which also is still sitting there. And um, I told a few of my friends that I was writing, uh, and one of them, one day she sent me a link, and she said, listen, you should enter this competition with Prima Magazine and Mills and Boone. And I, I looked and I thought, well, it's not really, it's probably not particularly what I want to write. I mean, in truth, that's what I thought. But then I actually had an idea and I thought, well, if I could set a story in Scotland, then I would quite like to have a go at that. And I had, I mean, over the years, I've met a lot of people uh, through my photography work and without going into a huge amount of depth, because, because this could take an hour, but um, I had a, a someone I knew who was an artist, and I thought, you know, who was Irish and an artist, and I thought, oh, I could kind of take, take some of her experiences. She used to, I've been following her blog for many years, and she, she does these off-grid artists' residencies. And so I thought, okay, well, I've got an artist and she's going to go to the Scottish Highlands. And who's she going to meet? Well, it's going to be the Laird's son. Because, you know, obviously I had read Mills and Boone um, novels in the early 80s. So I kind of knew the drill or thought I did. <laughs> and I just kind of wrote this chapter and I sent it in, truly thinking that what I thought was they're not going to be remotely interested in this because it's set in Scotland. You know, I could remember back in the 80s reading stories and they were always set on Greek islands or, you know, in Saudi Arabia or somewhere like that. But I thought, well, never mind. I'm being true to myself here and I'm writing what I know. So then I, I get this email saying that I've been shortlisted and I had to, you know, come up with my writer name and they were putting me on the blog. And it was just like you go from not even thinking about it to thinking, oh, I'm in with a chance. Do you know what I mean? And and then you kind of, so it starts kind of glimmering away at the back of your mind and you're, you're going about your your daily business and you're trying not to think about it, but it's there. You're one of the eight. You're one of the eight. You're one of the eight, you know, that they, the finalist. And, um, <laughs> and then one afternoon I was, I, I had a, oh, I was probably doing some photography editing and my phone went, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. And I, I do this call screening thing because we get so many spam calls. And I looked at the number and I thought, oh, that's going to be someone selling me a new iPhone or something. I almost didn't pick it up, but then I did. And it was Bryony Green. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm, um, and so, you know, she, she just said, oh, you know, I'm just really thrilled to tell you that you've won. And I was just like, you know, the phone got fumbled to the ground. And I was just like, what, what, what? <laughs> and um, she spoke to me for quite a period of time. And at the end of it, I just said, can you put all that in an email, please? Because <laughs> I just really, I couldn't grasp it. You know, I was nothing short of gobsmacked. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, then obviously the, the, the deal is that you then finished the book working with uh, Mills and Boone editor. So I was... Yeah, now you have to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And of course, writing one chapter, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't really thinking too much about, I mean, they did say they wanted a synopsis. You had to kind of include a synopsis with that first chapter, but, you know, I didn't really think about it too much. And um, anyway, my allocated editor was the lovely Nick Cause. 
And um, so we started working together. And of course, I had just literally, that happened in the May. And in September, I was starting my master's degree at Dundee University. (laughs) And I very, very quickly realized it was a very intense course that I wouldn't be able to write the romance alongside the assignments. So I, I had to say to Mills and Boone, look, you know, I know I was supposed, to, you're supposed to finish the book within six months. And uh, it became obvious to me that I wouldn't be able to do that. But they were very, very good about it. Um, so I, I kind of wrote, finished my assignments and then in the holidays wrote the Mills and Boone, and then Nick will send it back and say, ah, oh, you know, they're a little bit tetchy with each other or, you know, all these things that you think you know about how to write romance. You know, she was coming back with very constructive criticism, but, you know, anyway, finally bashed the thing into shape <laughs> by uh, just after I finished <laughs> my degree. And, um, you know, it, it was such a learning experience for me, though, Um hugely valuable um and it was very very enjoyable um it really really made me think about you know the whole craft of romance writing you know because so many people i guess look at it and they they, on the face of it it can seem something that is fairly straightforward because you're you're kind of using tropes and that are well worn and all the rest of it but actually i found that hard and i still find it hard and um there were, there were things that I thought could go in the book and then Nick would come back and say, well, no, because that, that makes makes your hero not very likable. And I'm saying, yeah, but no, he's not likable all the time, right? You know, I mean, he can be, he can be this and he will be redeemed. And mm-hmm. no, 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 you can't, you know. So I, I learned a lot about the kind of the tolerances, if you like, of, of writing the hero, the heroine, um, and anyway, it was it was a blast. I was absolutely thrilled when it was finished, thrilled when it was published, thrilled that it got a lot of great reviews, and then thrilled that they offered me another contract. And here I am. So, you know, advice is you know, enter competitions. Well, when you entered the competition, did you know, did you have any idea what line you were targeting or submitting for? Or was that just kind of part of the process, an editor editors would read they would choose someone and then they'd kind of just fit you in where the story fit or I mean did you know like true love was that um, the line that you were specifically targeting well the competition what they were looking for they were looking for writers for medical or true love so (laughs) obviously medical was out um okay so that that was really it and um yeah so the the true love line was was i think it was cherished no it was cherished once but anyway you know now it's true love but yeah so i i knew you know i read the the kind of brief for that for that kind of thing but to say because i was just writing the first chapter i really didn't think too much sounds terrible because now i think so much about the books you know when i'm i'm writing them i I, I'm a lot more academic about the way I do it now. But literally with that one, it was just like, oh, I remember how these used to go. <laughs> that that they, they'd meet and they'd clash and then, they'd, you know, <laughs> then they'd be, you know, and I kind of thought I knew, you know. So I literally, I, I went at it um, really just, I, I didn't find it especially difficult to write that first chapter. And nothing I have ever written since I found as easy as that first chapter in Brooding Scottish Air. It's a lot easier when you don't have to think about it, <laughs> when there's well, nothing riding on it. That, that's right. I, th- I, I think, um, I think, yeah, writing, writing to a deadline, and I'm not going to say writing to a formula because, but you know, you know what I mean. There are sort of mm-hmm. limitations and restrictions on you, you know. So it is, it is. Um, it's a slightly different experience to just kind of sitting down and writing from the heart sometimes, you know. Um, I do write from the heart, but, you know, you have to kind of get your heart knocked into shape, into into the shape of the story that it, it needs to create. So, yeah. So we know you really didn't start reading the Mills and Boom, like you were reading them in the 80s. But now that you're writing for them, are you reading the True Love books? And how would you describe them to other people? 
I have certainly been reading, uh, I try to read all my, certainly all the, the British writers and um, some of the Australian lovely writers as well. I've been, I, I dip in and out of their, their books and I find them hugely enjoyable. How would you describe them to someone who hadn't read the series or read, hadn't read the line? Right. So I think True Love, um, they're really, I, I would categorize them as real and relatable. So yes, we have heroes and heroines who are perhaps well off or the locations are glamorous. Absolutely. But there's a sense of, um, I think the, the, the people in them are real people. So it, it's, and they're relatable. I think I have been reading also some of the modern um, romances, really just to try and judge the heat level because we're being asked, or not asked, but it has been suggested that we could up the heat level in the true love stories. So I I did spend some of the summer reading some of the moderns just to see how far they go. And, um, and I think, you know, they are still, I suppose that's Harlequin Presents, isn't it? I mean, I... I I don't even know all the different categories mm-hmm. terribly well, but you know they are sort of more of the um, Arabian princes and and the kings and the queens and that kind of thing. Um, whereas I do think that the the true love they do have princes as well, and and um, but more sort of millionaires and billionaires mm-hmm. and you know your regular relatable millionaire billionaire. I guess you know when I'm writing, I tend to have you need a wealthy hero or a wealthy heroine, let's let's be fair, but mostly it's the hero so that you can be in those aspirational locations. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the, the thing that, you know, you... So, um, so that's why, you know, you'll often have someone who's very well off or very successful because really you want, you want the reader to have the thrill of being in a, an exotic location or in, an, you know, where um, everything is kind of, nice and glamorous and taken care of. So that is is why we tend to write heroes and who are sort of wealthy. But above and beyond that, certainly I feel that my heroes, that they're basically regular people with a huge amount of backstory and conflict yeah. and, and yeah. aggravation. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, backstory and aggravation, <laughs> The Single Dad's <laughs> Christmas Proposal is your latest release, and it's the romance between Dax and Simone. And Dax, for sure, has some, um, you know, backstory and <laughs> aggravation. So can you share with us what the book is about and where the inspiration for the story came from? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, da- Dax is basically where this story began um, is through someone I know who mentioned to me that her son-in-law was a snowboarder. And I, I, I said, oh, that's, that's nice. And, and my mind is kind of thinking, how do you be a snowboarder in a kind of professional way? You know, how do you? And she said to me cryptically, you could look him up on YouTube look up some of his films. And she told me his name. And I, I will say it here because anyone who wants to have an idea of where Dax comes from, you need to look at the YouTube videos of Xavier de la Rue. And anyway, I came home and I booted up YouTube and I watched okay. <laughs> I watched Xavier going down a vertical slope on his snowboard, roped up. And I just, I literally had my hand in my mouth um, I actually rewrote my own reaction into the heroine <laughs> the first time she sees Dax's film. I, I was literally, I was watching it and I thought, my God, how how do you love a man like that? How would you, you know, how, how can you cope yeah. with being someone? And I think the, the hook for me was that it wasn't just, I mean, there are plenty of people, men and women, who do dangerous jobs, you know, people in the army, people in hospitals, you know, um, but it's it, it was that rather tricky area of someone who ostensibly is doing this for kicks, you know, and so I got into, I did quite a lot of research on extreme sports and extreme sports and parenthood because I, I immediately thought, well, you know, if we have, it, it's one thing to kind of 
perhaps fallen in love with someone who decides to go free climbing up the the you know the big <laughs> the big mountain in Yosemite. I mean, I've, I've watched that guy as well. I can't remember his name. Um, but you know, being Mills and Boone, you you start piling on the agony. <laughs> so I think what makes it even harder, more <laughs> conflict. I mean, that this is how I start with everything. I have I start with an idea. It could be a place or a, a hero or a heroine. And you know, I thought, how how do you you know that? So immediately, how do you cope with being a father if you're basically risking your life every time you? step onto the mountain and then you know so so it was a really interesting story to me I, I I thought that would be quite an interesting thing to explore and then you know I obviously then thought well who would be <laughs> who would be the worst nightmare for or you know for the heroine you know what would be the worst kind of heroine to put him with well obviously someone who had lost her own husband in something as freaky as lost a hit someone. <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. and so you know immediately you have yeah. that kind of conflict of, of someone who's lost someone just through something very um banal like a car accident versus someone who is going out risking their life and um and so that's really where the whole thing came from. And um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I've been really, really hooked on the whole pre-ride snow riding, snowboarding thing. I just literally, I, I don't know how those guys do it. They, they rope themselves up. They climb into places where no one has ever climbed before just so they can access a piece of snow that they can ride for the first time. They've, you know, they've, they've never ridden it before. They, they have to study the terrain very carefully. Um, they have various things that they can use, like GPS maps and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, the whole thing I found... Again, I think it's because I got none of that bravery gene. My brother was the one who, who used to do the black ski runs. He lives in Toronto, by the way, or, you know, in Oakville. So um, he, when he first went out to Canada, he used to do the skiing quite a lot. And, and he was really brave with all that stuff, you know. So I, I just, I'm kind of fascinated by that. And that's really how the story evolved. And, you know, so you've got your one character and he's, he's sort of, finds himself with this child who he didn't know anything about. And now immediately he's conflicted, you know, and then you think, well, he's going to be very difficult. He's going to struggle with this parenthood thing. Why is he going to struggle so much? Well, let's look at his own background. So I gave him a really difficult background as well. So you just kind of start adding all these layers up mm -hmm. that you tangle yourself up in for the next five months. <laughs> drive yourself mad with <laughs> um, so that that's really where where all that came from and um in terms of france you know i i did a an exchange to a french exchange when i was at school to the mont blanc area um but i've never actually been to chamonix so uh which is where i set it and i set it the story in chamonix um primarily because it's known as the free right capital of the world uh, I think there are places in Alaska as well um, where the guys go, okay. but Chamonix and, and around there, it's it's very, very gnarly terrain, you know, and the the mad people that do this, they love it, you know. So um, that's why Dax has his luxury, deluxe, super fabulous chalet there. And he's wealthy because his he chalet. comes from... <laughs> chalet. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's wealthy because he comes from a... a a very well-established French Parisian family, um, but also because he attracts a huge amount of sponsorship, and it doesn't—it doesn't hurt one little bit that he is a total honey to look at. Yeah, he's got it all going on. <laughs> <laughs> we love stories where the characters meet on their way to go meet one another and have no idea they're already meeting, which is the case for Simone and Dax. As a writer, what inspired the choice to have these two meet on their way to meet one another? <laughs> oh dear now the the reason i went for that um opening was primarily because uh and your listeners anyone who's interested in writing for mills and boone might be interested to know that i wrote three different beginnings to that book and it was it was very important 
for me to, um, for obviously Simone uh, has been in a really tricky financial situation. And I had her living in this, you know, rather miserable apartment on the seventh floor. And I originally started the book with Dax going to pick up his son from there because the um, her little girl is best friends with his little boy. And Dax, you know, had never been to her apartment before. And I had him kind of driving and then walking up these seven flights of stairs and then him in the apartment noticing, you know, the torn lino and the dripping tap and all the things that are still in the book. But and then I thought, oh, I'm not sure about this. It, it's supposed to be a sort of Christmas story. And it was it was a bit more like, you know, Scrooge and <laughs> Bob Cratchit. And I thought, oh, no. Um, you know, so, and I think because it's, it's such a massive, it's a big story. Um, and I was really struggling to find a toehold, the best way in. Uh, so then I rewrote that scene from her point of view. I can't even remember. I mean, geez, I keep all my copies as I go along, but I mean, the, the change in the story, you know, it just, I kept thinking this isn't right this isn't right and it's very frustrating when you when you're so into a story when you know what the story is going to be but I I was struggling a lot to find what I felt was the right opening and then I thought you know I'm going to put them in a neutral space and she's going to be walking across the Place de Palais Royale in the snow and they're going to meet in this cafe and I thought, that's okay, that's going to work. I liked it because I, it would allow me to, you know, add a little bit of why she come to Paris, the romance of it, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I thought it's, it's just going to throw the reader straight into kind of, it's Christmas. <laughs> um, and then as I was writing it, I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, what, how great would it be if they meet at the door and they don't know what each other looks like because he's never been to her house and she's never seen him because he has this Australian au pair who is having at short notice to leave him for Christmas, which is why he needs the nanny in the first place. So I just thought this would be a really nice moment. So to answer your question, I didn't really kind of think, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll have them meet at the door. It was just like, Three third version of the of the opening and and she's walking across the Place de Palais <laughs> and I'm thinking oh I know what I'll do so yeah it wasn't really planned it just it just kind of suggested itself which actually is sometimes the best thing well I think that's just so amazing to hear because I physically highlighted pretty much the entire first chapter it was so romantic. And to hear you say that, like, oh, I wrote that first chapter like three times, <laughs> it's just like, wow, oh my gosh. So, um, I mean, this kind of leads into the next question. So, both Simone and Dax are single parents, but specifically with Simone, we get the perspective of someone who has been so focused on just making ends meet that she's taken by surprise when she meets Dax, not knowing that it's Dax, but he stills her breath away there. I mean, just the way that you captured like them entering in and him like putting his hand on her back to like help her inside and how she feels when he offers her his beanie, little his little head cap. It just, it was so romantic. So was there anything about Simone that you hoped would resonate with readers? That's that's difficult because when you're writing, you're, you're all the time, I suppose, you're, you're trying to create characters that your um, readers are going to like. Um, Nick Kors made that very clear to me when I was writing The Brooding Air that, they, <laughs> that whatever happens, characters have to be likable all the time. You know, they can have a bad day and they can lose their temper, but they still have to be likable. And um, and so really, I, I, I felt, very much for Simone. Um, you know, my own my own mum was uh, a single mum. My, she, you know, that she separated from my father when I was very young, and she, you know, so we grew up. We live with my grandparents. But you know, I, I suppose whenever I write a single mum or have that idea, I'm very aware of a lot of the things that that my mum would have been through. You know, that kind of um, focus on on worrying that you're not giving your kids, 
you know, everything that, that they need or, you know, financially or whatever. And I think, you know, so that basic germ of an idea, I suppose, is always there in me. But then, of course, you, you ramp it up to the max in order to create the conflict. So, you know, I've given her some <laughs> some in-laws from hell. and um, But it, it also made me think a lot about grief, you know, mm-hmm. the way different people take grief and, you know, how some people kind of, you know, if she's got her daughter and she's just determined to, um, you know, give her daughter the best and to the best that she can, which isn't really terribly much, um, and just make sure that, Chloe feels loved and and she's now got this this chance she's working in a school she's got this job she never thought she'd get in a million years and of course you see in terms of technical writing or should I say the technical process I knew you know that Dax he's he's got his son in a private school so I thought well these people will never meet that they just wouldn't meet in normal circumstances so you know, I had to think, okay, well, how, how would they meet? How would their children have met? And so immediately then you start thinking, okay, well, she needs to be working at the school. She's got a job at the school, which comes with a free place or a subsidized place. I mean, you know, I don't know if such things happen. <laughs> you have to just kind of, that that's the moment where you have to think, okay, well, in her case it did. So her daughter is now at this very smart school and this is how she's become friends with Dax's son. And therefore, you know, that, so a lot of the time when you're kind of devising the stories, you have to kind of get a logic in there so that the reader isn't thinking, oh, well, this is all very well, but how on earth would they have ever met, you know? <laughs> So, um, so yeah, a lot of the time I kind of reverse it back. I'll start off with the scenario and then you have to kind of think all the logic through, you know. So, yeah, she ends up working at the school, which is her first proper job for years. And she's super excited that, you know, she's going to be able to leave this terrible apartment behind and, you know, maybe things will, you know, start looking up for her, you know. But, yeah, she's very... So I, I guess that's a very long way of answering your question. But um, I think anything, you know, any parents who love their kids would find her relatable. And um, so, yeah, that's it, basically. But, you know, you hope you hope that every time you create a character, whoever they are, that, you know, your reader is going to kind of, find them you know find an empathy with them that that's what you want because otherwise your reader isn't going to keep reading so let's talk about your writing process is there a certain time of day you prefer to write and do you set daily writing goals or anything else you'd like to share with us about what your writing day is like (laughs) okay um i haven't listened to sophie pembroke's podcast yet but i will and um i know that she'll she'll have been talking about how well organized she is <laughs> for me my writing day <laughs> I, i'm i'm basically in a panic all the time when i'm writing um i i spend a lot of time second guessing myself you know is this the right way and i think particularly with this last book dax and simone's story i it took a lot out of me because I was so passionate about it and I wanted it to be, um, you know, good. And I wanted to, so, you know, so I ended up really struggling to get the right toehold into that story. And so with, with all writing, you know, I often kind of think, oh, is this the best way in to this chapter? Because I could do it this way or I could do it that way. And, you know, there are so many choices and that, that those choices can often throw me into a sort of panic. So my writing process is basically, I'll tell you how it works. I have an idea for a story and I think, okay, and I, I kind of think, all right, the hero is going to be this and he'll have had this and that in his background. And so who am I going to put him with? Well, I'm going to put him someone who's, I normally go for someone who's sort of the opposite, but there's enough between the, 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 something that is very similar because that's why they can empathize with each other. So, you know, mm-hmm. I tend to kind of devise that. And then I'll kind of think about, or well, sometimes I start with a location just because I want to <laughs> write a story in that location and what kind of story would fit there, you know. Mm-hmm. But the actual writing day 
is just kind of like a blur, to be honest. I sit there and I will, unlike, I'm absolutely (laughs) in awe of writers who can write quickly because I sit there and I'm one of these people that, you know, have to get it right before I can move on. And I mean, I'm talking at the micro level. (laughs) Do I write, he looked up scanning the horizon (laughs) or he looked up and scanned the horizon? Do you know what I mean? I mean, that is, I am absolutely terrible at just kind of (laughs) moving on because I'm trying to imagine it as a scene, you know, the, you know, the, the little pauses and the timing and all this kind of stuff. And, um, but, but yeah, so it can some, and then sometimes I'll have a, a kind of spurt and I think, oh, this is great. You know, whew. normally I find if I'm writing conversation, things will go more quickly. The, the stuff that really, really, mm-hmm. uh, the, the stuff I find difficult is the conflict, you know, which order and how much to unpack at any given time. <laughs> because, you know, if, if you spend too much time mm-hmm. with the character kind of, doing the, the self-monologue, you know, the, the little monologue, should I do this, should I do that? There's only so much of that, you know, I feel that you can put in and then you want some kind of action, some movement in the story. So, yeah, um, writing process is a, a, a reasonably good plan, a good idea. I can do a story synopsis and then I sit down and I start to write it and then it's all the head scratching and the panic and the, um, you know, <laughs> oh, this is good enough. I'm just not quite getting it. I'm not feeling them. I'm not feeling them. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's basically torture. <laughs> <laughs> torture with torture with bright highlights occasionally, and then sometimes I'll write a line and I think, oh, I really like that. I like that. That's perfect. Um, and you yes. get a nice little boost, and you think, right, I'll go and make a cup of tea. <laughs> and the husband goes, is it going well? You go, yeah, yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. But, <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard, though. I, I find it, uh, hands up, I find it very, very hard to write these stories. Anyone who thinks they're easy. <laughs> so let's get into some our, our round out questions. Um, the first one is, besides books, what was something that teenage you was obsessed with? Well, I think I think I love music. I always have, you know. Um, again, my brother got the proper music gene. He can play guitar and piano and banjo and all that. Um, I just like listening to it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was a big fan of of music. You know, I mean, <laughs> all the seventies stuff, Mark Bolan and uh, Bolan and uh, you know uh, Elton John and all those Fleetwood Mac. You know. Um, rumors like best album ever and yeah so music was was a big thing and obviously fashion I mean you know when you when you're sort of growing up you know I used to read the Jackie magazine and I've always been crafty as well I'm a great knitter I know Sarah you you're sort of into that kind of stuff too I'm obsessed with knitting We'll have to have another conversation about, I mean, I love knitting and I've knitted a lot. I've spent a lot of time sewing my own clothes. My mum taught me how to, my grandmother taught me how to use a a sewing machine. Mm -hmm. My aunt taught me how to crochet. Um, So I, you know, I was always very crafty and I still like doing things with my hands, you know, um, just anything that, that, you know, you produce something at the end of it, I find very satisfying. So, um, so yeah, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I used to do that kind of stuff as well. The Jackie magazine used to have things like make yourself a keepsake box, you know, so you take a box and you cover it with, you know, sticky back plastic and add sequins or whatever, you know, I just used to love doing that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> that was, I don't know that I call it an obsession, but, um, but yeah, I, I sort of did that and horses, obviously I, I was into those. And boys. Yep, boys. That's a given. Music and boys sounds about right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what is one film you will never stop watching? The, uh, one film, every time it comes on television that I just can't flick past is Bridget Jones' Diary. I just love that film. I think there's there's not a bad scene in it. Um, I just think the whole thing is top notch. Love it. Love Bridget. Who is one of your most read authors? Right. This this is kind of a difficult one because I read, I don't know, most read. I actually sat and made a little list here. Um, um, I'm a big William Boyd fan. I'm 
a big Maggie O'Farrell fan. Okay. I've just read Hamnet um, and I, I loved some of her early books. I dropped out after The Hand That First Held Mine for a while, um, but I think Hamnet is absolutely brilliant. Just finished that. I love David Nichols. Um, one day as as the uh, sweet sorrow is his latest one, which is again, it's a teenage romance. It's absolutely fabulous. I love his writing style. Um, and uh, Sebastian Barry, who is a wonderful Irish writer, and I I love his stuff. Uh, I actually press ganged him at the Edinburgh Book Festival a few years ago and asked him if he'd have a selfie with me. I was I was totally fangirling him. Afterwards, my mum said to me, "You were really embarrassing." I said, "I know, but you know, he's 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 kind of <laughs> he's kind of a well, he, he's a lovely guy, you know, and he writes so well. And um, so I I love his books. And oh, I I just I, I'm one of these people though. I don't often if I find an author I like, it's almost like I think, okay, I'm not going to read. They're another book by them straight away. I like to kind of pace it because, you know, and, and kind of savor them. Um, mm-hmm. So I tend to kind of split my reading up, even if, if there's, there are authors that I really like. I don't immediately just dive into their next book. Um, I, I think I have so many books to read, as I'm sure we all do, that um, <laughs> there's always you know, too much to read any in any case, you know. So, um, but I'm kind of losing my thread there. But yeah, no, I, I just, I love so many books and I love discovering new writers as well. Um, and I like reading mm-hmm. essay as well and poetry and just lots of, all these things kind of fill your well, you know. Um, but yeah, and I was going to say, oh, and I discovered through the lovely romance writing community who keep recommending things to me so you know Georgette Heyer is a writer I'd never really read any of her work Mm -hmm. but I read Cotillion earlier this year and oh my god that is just wonderful I I like the um I love her I'm definitely (laughs) going to go back and read more of hers but again true to form I'm kind of leaving it a gap you know I don't want to kind of devour them all at once but what I would like to say is that if anyone likes my books, I'd really like them to devour them, <laughs> devour them one after the other. <laughs> is there anything you can share about what is coming up next from you? Absolutely. Um, I'm very happy to sh- share this. Um, I'm currently trying to finish book number six. And this is a story. It's a reunion story. Uh, teenage couple who have been together as teenagers and then they are torn apart and reunite 12 years later in of all places a game reserve in South Africa and why there you ask well that's because I was in a game I was in a game reserve in South Africa in February 2020 which was the first time I had ever done anything like that um my husband's family live in Cape Town and um we we went over, we we booked a, a holiday literally just before the COVID thing really kicked off. So we were quite lucky in that regard. And some of our friends there, they um, took us to a game reserve just for one night uh, near the Botswana border. And it was the most amazing, wonderful experience. And I just thought I need to write a story <laughs> set in a place like this and I have thoroughly enjoyed doing the research because Mm -hmm. there are so many wonderful game reserves in Zimbabwe and South Africa and I've kind of kept it vague the actual location but um so my heroine she is a Mm -hmm. um a travel writer she is uh she runs she has a, a luxury travel blog and um she arrives at this game reserve and discovers that this is owned and run by the boy that she was separated from when she was 16. And there's a whole heap of backstory in there too, which obviously is required so that they don't just fall into each other's arms straight away, because that's the way it goes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, now <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying this Sounds one. delightful. 
no, I, I think it, it's going to be good. Um, well, I hope it's going to be good. We'll see what the editor says when I get it to her at the end of this month, mm-hmm. if I make that deadline. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thrilled to be. I like writing about places that I know. Um, my Caribbean book was the first book I had ever written about a place I hadn't been to. And um, <laughs> I, I had to do a huge amount of research. You know, I kind of look at the wildlife and the flowers and I kind of look them all up on, I mean, Google is so great and YouTube for that kind of thing, you know, and I listen to bird calls and, you know, just to try and throw some authentic flavor in there. Um, but yeah, it's kind of hard writing a place that you don't know. So I, I tend to, as far as possible, uh, you know, lean on my own experience. So, yeah. So, yes, we're in Africa for the next one. Woo! <laughs> and lastly, where can everyone follow you online? Well, I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Ella Hayes Author. Um, I don't do TikTok, and I don't have a website. Um, I've just, because I've spent... Mm-hmm so many years, you know, with social media for my photography persona. And, you know, I kind of, I I find the whole thing. I absolutely love social media for um, interacting with readers and with other writers and lovely people like you you ladies. But um, social media, you know, the idea of having a website, people keep saying you should have a website. And I'm thinking, I I don't know. I don't know. It's just another thing to maintain. So I'm... uh, yeah. So just Facebook, Insta and Twitter. That's where you'll find me. I'm always happy to hear from anyone on those nice. platforms. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. We have mm-hmm. been so excited for the opportunity to chat with you. Uh, and we cannot wait on the next book. It sounds so lovely. I love yes. books with writers. And the fact that she's like a travel writer has me so excited. <laughs> I feel like that is so needed in the current world that we're living in. Um, so thank you. And listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have links to all the places where you can keep up with the Ella Hayes, as well as where you can find her books. And Sarah and I will chat with you all in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. 